that caught me unaware. I was in the midway back in the sanctuary greeting folks and just want to do the same to everybody now. Greetings and good morning and welcome everyone to Germantown Presbyterian Church. It's a delight to have everybody here this morning. Thank you so much for being with us. It's wonderful especially to greet those who are visiting with us today. We're delighted that you're here. We hope you feel very much at home here at GPC and thank you for coming to visit today. And a warm welcome to everybody joining us online. Thank you for your presence, watching us, watching the live stream feed. We're grateful for your presence. We are one congregation, even if we are some in person in the sanctuary and some watching the live stream, whether that's right now. We know people watch the live stream at different points during the week. And so we just want to say a word of gratitude for everybody for joining us this morning. If you are worshiping with us, then the bulletin is online. It wasn't about half an hour ago, but it is now. The bulletin is up and it's online if you want to uh, join us. If you're worshiping with us at home, you can go to the website and you can download the place, uh, the click the tab, where you can download the bulletin and you can see it and you can join us in all that we are doing. Please sign the friendship pad. It is the little maroon pad that's on the inside aisle of each pew here, if you would sign that. Mark your attendance with us and pass it down and note the folks who are sitting with you on your pew and then uh, introduce yourself to them if you don't know them uh, at some point uh, at the greeting time or after the service. And you can sign the online version of the Friendship Pad that's again there on the front uh, uh, website, our webpage. You can sign it, click on it, sign it, and you can mark your presence with us as well on the online version. It is such a delight to Um, welcome some special people into our midst today because today during this service is the installation of Mike Lyle as our associate pastor of evangelism and discipleship. And we're grateful for this day and we're grateful for this service and that installation service. But we want to uh, offer a very special welcome to his family um, who have traveled here from outside. We have uh, Robin and Sally Lyle who've traveled up from Florida and Mike's sister Sarah is here also from Nashville and of course, uh, Francesca, Mike's wife, is here with them, with her in-laws, and what a special day it is for us, and we want you to know especially how welcome you are and what a delight it is to have you with us and to have you part of this ceremony as well, and uh, you're going to hear more and more about how special Mike is uh, in our midst and how grateful we are for his presence here, but for you to travel here and to be with us today is an honor, and we, we are grateful for your presence with us. Thank you for being here. We also have uh, other guests who are part of this service. You'll recognize most of the folks because they're um, here, uh, they're part of the GPC family already, but we want to make a special word of welcome to Reverend James Gale, who's sitting here in the front. James, would you mind standing and just turning around? James Gale is here. Thank you, James. He is our executive presbyter, and uh, uh, he's been here at GPC before. He's preached here before, but we're delighted that he is taking part in this service as well, along with uh, everybody else who will be part of the service. Thank you very much for being here. Friends, a few announcements. One is uh, on September the 12th, we are going to have an inquirer's luncheon for folks who are interested in learning more about GPC, possibly making GPC a church home. Uh, Amy Phillips uh, has her email and telephone number in the bulletin there uh, beside the inquirer's luncheon announcement, and you can contact Amy and reserve a place for that or talk to her if you can't make that about the next Sunday when we'll have folks join and you can talk to Amy about all of that. Thank you. Um, one announcement very quickly, and uh, it has to do with a source 
Um, it's our, our, our locking system for all of the doors around the church. It's intentionally designed to be glad to know to frustrate people. Um, no, it, it's not intentionally designed that way, but sometimes it does. And so we, are, we have learned that we are getting back into the groove with our locking system of having two services, not just one, but two services and all of the events during the week and the special things that we have going on. Generally speaking, generally speaking, the doors unlock for an event 15 minutes before that event starts, and then the doors will lock 15 minutes after that event, uh, after it starts, 15 minutes before, 15 minutes after. Um, and so it invariably happens if somebody comes up to a door, I can't get in. And then you ring the doorbell, and on a Sunday, there's nobody in the office to answer the doorbell. So we're working hard to get the kinks and the bugs out of the system, and we know that there are some. And so if you have a scheduling need, you can talk to Ann DeVere in our office. You can talk to Fred Turvery, and they'll, they'll do their best to schedule it appropriately. And then things happen like yesterday when we have a bridal shower up here, and the Internet went down, so the locking system got messed up. So, you know, that kind of stuff just happens. But, but the purpose, of course, is for safety and it's for security. And so, for example, every lock in the whole joint We'll lock in just a few minutes while we're all in here, and the most of the building's empty except for the narthex doors. And so it just provides us with a layer of security. Um, and, and on some Sunday mornings, I think that it's so complicated, the schedule of when the nursery doors unlock, for example, and then when they shut during the 8.30 service, and then when they open again at 9-something, and all these different complications. You, and you could be like the preacher's wife who showed up at 8.29 or 9.29 last Sunday and got to the door and couldn't get in and then texted her husband when the service was still going on. And, um, so we know it's going to happen, and we apologize for the frustrations, but we're trying to work the kinks out, and so bear with us. And uh, any good suggestions are always, uh, always appreciated, and we're trying to make sure we have the right doors unlocked at the right time. So enough said on that, but let us know if you have any frustrations, so that we can try to get them fixed. Last but not least, friends, come to evening worship at 6 o'clock in Warren Hall and cap off a wonderful day of worship with that service also later on today. Friends, those are all of our announcements. Now let us prepare our hearts and minds to worship God. We gather in Christ's name to fill this place with our praise of God. God is worthy of our devotion. Please stand and join me in our call to worship. God is our refuge and strength, a very pleasant, present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change. God is in the midst of the city. It shall not be moved. God will help us from the Lord says, Be still 
and know that I am God. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. The will not sing on the third verse of our opening hymn. And also there's a couple places where the instruments will play in a little interlude. And I will let you know when that happens, okay?
God is merciful and just, and God is quick to forgive those who repent. Let us acknowledge our need for God's grace. Let us pray. Lord, have mercy upon us. Instead of having faith, we faint in the face of fear. Instead of displaying self-control, we breathlessly pursue what we want. Instead of trusting on you, we try to control life to our liking. Forgive us as we tend to usurp your rightful place in our lives. Give us the same mind as Christ and inspire us to live with his faith, his trust, and his priorities. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Christ's death on the cross reconciles us to God. His resurrection brings us new life in God's presence. I declare to you that in the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. As our children come forward for the children's sermon, please greet those around you with a sign of God's peace. guys how are you you're good cool um last i wanted to for my turn doing the children's sermon i wanted to talk about what pastor will talked about last week because i think it's just so important and it's something we got to be reminded of constantly so we're going to remind everybody who couldn't be here last week because uh so i'm going to read our little the verse, it comes from James 1, 19. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. So, do you guys ever get angry? No? <laughs> I know I get really mad when, I get, when I'm driving. I get so mad. <laughs> I will yell and scream and nobody can hear me. It's the biggest waste of energy. So I have this little brother named Alex. I know that you guys are brothers, so maybe this will be especially catered to y'all. Uh, one time, my mom went to the store, and when she goes shopping, she'll get, like, good food, which is gross, and she'll get, like, tasty food, you know? 
So it's always a race to see who gets the tasty food. So mom comes home and all the groceries come inside. And I know that she got Pringles, but I can't find them. So I got angry at Alex, my little brother, uh, for taking the Pringles. And I started yelling and shouting and I was being mean and I ended up hurting my little brother's feelings, which is not good. And my mom was not happy. Uh, but it turns out that, you know how Pringles are like a circle and kind of like a wheel? So they rolled out of the bag and they were still sitting in the car. <laughs> yeah, so I was so quick to be angry and so slow to listen to my brother that I ended up hurting him that day. And he ended up forgiving me because he's a great brother and I'm flawed. But uh, he showed love and grace to me. So we just need to remind ourselves to be slow and listen to people and be kind whenever we can. So would you guys pray with me? Dear God, thank you for letting us come here this week. Help us to be slow to anger and quick to listen and to always love our brothers. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Thanks, guys. Please pray with me. Lord, we approach you now as we read from Scripture, and we pray that you would speak to us in numerous ways. Lord, speak to us through these words that we hear. Speak to us through emotions. Speak to us through words that we cannot hear, but we feel that they come from you. And so we pray that you would be with us. Lord, whisper your will into each one of our ears and guide us in all that we do and say. In Christ's name we pray, amen. We're picking up on our sermon series on James, and today we look ahead just a little bit from chapter 1. We now look to chapter 4, to four verses that are, are short, sweet, and extremely powerful. We read from James chapter 4, starting in verse 13, verses 13 through 17, James 4. Now listen. You who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year carrying on business and make money, why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a, a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. So instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and then doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. A few weeks ago, I told you about my Louisiana grandfather and some of his southern fried sayings that he lived by and shared with people all the time. I shared with you one a couple of weeks ago. It was no count 
If he ever saw me taking a, taking a nap or, or doing what he thought was lazy, he would call you no count, of course. And there were so many others. He was, he was born pretty much dirt poor in the Delta, not far from Parchman Prison. And so I can remember my mom telling me this, and I can remember him saying it, that, that he would say to her when she was little, if you keep misbehaving, we're just going to drop you off at Parchman for a little while. And I think that shaped her up pretty quickly. I can remember hearing that also. He, he got out of the Delta, he went to, to then what was Southwestern at Memphis, now Rhodes College, of course, got a, a great education there, went on to, to be in business and to settle in Shreveport, but he never lost those Southern fried sayings. So one that I heard him say all the time, I mean, if I heard him say it once, I heard it a million times, it makes absolutely no sense, but it makes perfect sense. Mathematically, it's illogical, but it makes good uh, common sense. Um, if he thought you were gossiping about somebody else, heard you talking about somebody else, or if he thought you were sort of getting a little too close to his business, he would say, nine times nine is nine. You tend to your business, and I'll tend to mine. It makes no sense, and yet it makes perfect sense. He had all these other sayings, and uh, I know I heard this one at least a thousand times. It's not unique to him. I think we've talked about this before. It's a great saying. Um, anytime you asked him about his plans for the future, he would say this. You know, he'd say, Granddaddy, are y'all coming up to Memphis for Christmas? Or, Granddaddy, are we going to see you uh, this summer at some point? He would always say, Lord willing, and the creek don't rise. Lord willing, and the creek don't rise. It's a very simple saying, and yet, you know, you think about that. Isn't it true? Isn't it true? All of our hopes, all of our aspirations, all the plans that we make, all the things that we do to, to think about the future, they are, they're basically controlled by two things. One, of course, is if the creek rises. And what that means is if circumstances happen that are just way beyond our control. We have no control over these things. You make your plans to go somewhere, especially if you were down in the Delta back in the 1910s and 1920s. You go somewhere and then it rains a lot and you can't get across that Crete. You can't get across that bridge. I was thinking about this yesterday. You know, a few of us went up to Waverly, Tennessee to go, um, to go work on a, a, a house, to go work with the people who have been affected by the flood up there. There's two, two of our folks were in here. We had Molly and Andrew Miller. We had Christopher Greco. We had uh, Susan and Greg Morgan and Barry and Amy Phillips went with us as well. Um, and it was amazing. We went to this one house who, who by the way, there, there's no way you could plan. This, is, this has got to be providential. Um, Barry Phillips graduated from Waverly High School up there. So the person whose house we worked on was a year ahead of him in high school. And we went to that house, and there is a creek that runs by it, literally a creek runs by it. I didn't know that when I was planning this sermon and that saying. There's a creek that runs by it, and it is a, it is a little creek except for last Saturday. When all of that rain came down, that little creek expanded into about a 40 to 50 wide swath of water with an amazing current that went into their house, into their garage, into his farming shed. It picked up debris. It picked up two of their cars and turned them and floated them. And I took the most amazing picture. There's a field of corn, but there's a 40-foot wide swath right down the middle of it where the water took all the corn down. The creek rose next to his house. These circumstances always happen. They're beyond our control. And whether it's natural disasters like floods or hurricanes or tornadoes, all these kinds of things that happen. 
This happens every year. Someone will plan a trip to Destin down to the beach, and you make your reservations months in advance. You reserve that condo. You invite your friends months and months in advance, and then the week comes, and you pack everybody up, get all the family down there, buy all the food, and then soon enough, you turn around and you're headed back north because you have to evacuate from a hurricane that wasn't on the radar a week before that. And if you think a hurricane ruins your vacation, think about what it does for the folks who live there or who have property there. It's really interesting. A few years ago, Susan and the girls went to eat at a friend's house up in Montreat, and they got close to the house. They pulled their car close to the house, and then a, a monster, a gargantuan, 120-year-old oak tree fell across the driveway, and they were stuck. And what are the odds of the timing of that tree falling right then at that moment when they were pulled up in there? Sometimes the creek rises, and all these circumstances are beyond your control, and you just have to adjust. You just have to adjust your life and make alternate plans and change your direction. That's one thing. That's the second half of that phrase. It's really the first half that is the most important for us as Christians, that Lord-willing peace, the Lord's will, God's will. That's what matters most for each one of us. It, it certainly matters the most as we follow Christ. We are, we are called to, we are invited to, to put all of our lives into God's hands, to follow God's will for our life. But that's the really mysterious peace. That's the really hard peace that's so hard to fathom and difficult to, to understand. How do you know if your direction, if your life, if your family, your business, how do you know if it is in with, within God's will? How do you know the decision you make is part of God's will? How can you tell if your life is aligned with God's priorities? So we look to James this morning to answer some of those questions, and in particular these four verses, because they are so powerful. And we also do so within an important context, don't we? We look to understand God's will on a day when we are installing Mike Lyle as our next associate pastor. We're doing this on a very important day in the season of this church's life. Today, of course, Mike is installed as our pastor for, uh, associate pastor for evangelism and discipleship, and installed is that Presbyterian term, that very official term, and so he will answer questions, and you will answer questions, we'll all answer questions, and we'll have that ceremony, and by that ceremony, we will make official something that we already know to be true, that he is one of us, and that we belong to him, and that he belongs to us, and that we welcome him with open arms, and his incredible skills, and his leadership, and his friendship, and we take him into our hearts, just as he has already taken us into his heart, and he loves this congregation as a people of faith. And of course, we welcome Francesca also. We welcome her from the bottom of our hearts to be part of this church and part of this church family in this season of this church's life. And so when we think about God's will on this day, we do so with a wonderful, very meaningful context in mind. So we turn to the book of James in this one place, and, and several people have offered this feedback in this sermon series on James. Boy, he doesn't mince words, does he? He comes right at us, and he's very direct, and he says things very poignantly, 
And in these verses, he gets right at it. He points out the arrogance and the irony of anyone who thinks that he or she is self-sufficient and in total control of their lives. He's naming this self-sufficiency, and then he talks about why, really, it's a delusion. It's not real anyway, even though most people live by it day after day. Even the Christians in the churches that he was writing to then and now always live by this myth that we are in, control, in charge and we are in control of our future. And he says, no, you're not. The Christians are boasting about their plans that he hears about, and that's why he's writing them. Now, don't get me wrong, strategic planning Making plans, those are actually very good things. Our whole church has been involved in this strategic planning process for the last year or so, and we're going to unveil the four words that encapsulate all of our strategic planning, connecting, growing, sharing, and caring. Those four words formulate this great strategic plan for our church, and every committee in our church right now is formulating their uh, goals and their tactics to meet those goals, and they're going to unveil those in September. So strategic planning is good. But that's not what's happening here in James and what he is writing about. He's writing to people who are arrogant, those who are boasting. He even says those who are scheming. They say, we're going to go to that city. We're going to go to that market. We're going to do business there, and we're going to make a lot of money. And they're not even bothering to ask what God's will might be. Um, They're making these assumptions that are independent of their faith, making these assumptions independent of what God's plan might be for them. They are assuming that they are in certain control of these definite areas of their lives and that God can stay away from that. It's like they're saying nine times nine is nine. God, you tend to the spiritual business on, on, on Sundays and I'll tend to the spiritual business on Monday through Saturday and these other times of the week. God, you do your, your part, but the rest of my life is mine. And it's this attitude it reveals that those hearts have not yet been changed. Because following Christ, it means something so transforming and different, doesn't it? And it means that a heart has been totally changed and transformed by God. Following Christ means this complete and and, and total and glad and willing transformation of someone who is now wholeheartedly following God's will. Following Jesus means you've given Him your heart And not just your heart, of course. What the heart symbolizes is you have given Christ your mind. You have given Him your work. You've given Him your family. You have given Him all of your plans for the future. You have given Him everything, your business. You want every aspect of your life to be guided by God, and you completely trust God no matter what. No exceptions. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. You trust God with every corner of your life. Even when the creeks rise, even when the creeks rise or something terrible happens, no matter what hurricanes blow your plans away, you love and trust Christ no matter what. Paul, uh, James is of course talking about this delusion, this delusion that people live under that they can make their own plans and they're in control of their future. It's a delusion, he says, and, and, and we know this deep down. We all know this. It's a delusion, writes James, because he says, you have no idea what's going to happen even tomorrow. Not to say next year or the year after that. You don't know what's going to happen 
tomorrow. Don't you get it? What is your life in the grand scope of history, in the grand scope of eternity? He asks them, what is your life? Your life is just a mist. It is here for a few milliseconds, and then it's just gone. You are barely a mist that appears for a moment in time, and then it's over. I thought about this verse this week almost at the same time that I heard the news about someone whose work I have read, and I, I know his name. He's a pastor in Nashville, a very prominent pastor. Thomas McKenzie was my age, well-known all around Nashville for his church leadership. He was taking his daughter back to college when they had a wreck on westbound I-40, and they were both killed instantly. Now, that hit really hard because I made that same trip two weeks ago today. I Guttled out of here pretty quickly. My daughter back to college, driving I-40 West down into Texas. And seeing the news about him and his age and those circumstances, and it just hit home. Why him? Why not me? When? Why? It just confirmed, of course, that I am like you are. We're, our life is just a mist that barely appears in time, and then it's over. So what we are called to do, what we are called to do before we vanish, is to align our lives always up with God's will. Every day, every decision, every plan we make, we say, is it the Lord's will? So many people, so many people, if they believe in God, they want to treat God as a means to an end. And the end is what they have decided, and they want to treat God as kind of a way to get there, that I'll, I'll go to church, and I'll, I'll give, and I'll treat people decently, and then God will bless what I pretty much decided I want to do with my life. Christ says, no, never make God a means to an end. God is the end. Jesus Christ is the goal. Your life with God is the means by which God draws you closer. Everything about you is the means to the end that is God. Put everything, every purpose, always within God's will. I heard a remarkable affirmation of faith this week. Some of our church members are a part of a neighborhood Bible study, and they were kind, and they invited me to join them this week. Over the last year, one of their members has had a very tough battle with cancer, and she talked about how close God has come to her through it all. And so I had to follow up, and I contacted her after last Wednesday, and I just said, could you have permission to kind of use your story in, in the sermon a little bit on Sunday? And she said, uh, absolutely you do. She said this, she said, I've come to the place where I can now thank God for my cancer on account of all the good that has come out of it. That is a remarkable affirmation of faith that my whole life, and whatever happens in it is meant to be lived for God's glory, no matter what. No matter what. I thought about these verses when she, when she said that. Philippians 4, it says, In every situation, every time, always, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard you, will guard your life and guard your faith. I aspire to that kind of faith that I heard this week. Could you do that? Could you thank God for even the debilitating things that happen? Because God is always working through them and using them to turn them around, even if it's suffering, to turn it around 
for your good. To answer our original question, how do you know if your life is within God's will? How do you, how do you discern if the cho- choices you make and the path you want to follow, how do you know it's God's will? Well, look at this passage again. First, you'll never boast about it. You'll never boast about it. You'll be confirmed because you won't want to boast about it because you'll know that the circumstances by which you're being blessed, that, that somebody a lot smarter than you is engineering them. You won't ever boast about the success that you have. You'll be grateful. You'll be humble because you know your success has been engineered by God. Second, this will be a direction or a decision that's just saturated in prayer. You'll certainly uh, seek God's will. You'll seek God's guidance before you ever walk down that path or take that job or create that family. You'll always be searching for God's will. And you'll say, if it's God's will, then I will do it. You'll saturate that decision or that event in prayer. Third, that decision will be confirmed by the blessings that come your way. The blessings will come your way. If you're walking apart from God and away from God, God isn't going to let you know that, and and you won't be blessed, and more likely than not, your life will kind of careen out of control. But when God is your goal, when God is your purpose, and your life is the means by which you are being drawn closer to God, then you will receive blessings, and you'll know it, and you'll be closer to God. So, to finish up, we do that today. We do that today. We know. We know that we are celebrating God's will on this day when we install Mike as our next associate pastor. We know that this is God's will for him and for us. And and we won't boast, but we could. (laughs) We could boast that we have in our midst one of the brightest and best emerging Presbyterian pastors in the entire country, but we won't boast today. We'll stay humble in our gratitude and know that God has engineered this pastoral relationship in a way that we never could. The decision was saturated in prayer by members of our search committee and by Mike. We sought God's will over and over and over again, and therefore we believe that God has confirmed this decision. God has already brought us many blessings through Mike and his leadership. I was thinking about this the other day when we met. Um, We meet regularly, and we talk at least once a month, now like once a week, and that that hour-long conversation turned into over two because there was so much creativity and and so many good things that were flowing, and it was such a blessing for me that God is using Mike to draw us as a church closer and closer and closer, and this decision is being confirmed as together we move forward into the future. Friends, let's celebrate this day. May God bless Mike. May God bless Francesca. May we be a better and stronger church because we are walking into the future of God's will together on account of Mike's leadership among us. Amen. And to know that we have heard the word of the Lord spoken. As we know, we have seen some creeks rise lately, whether that be a metaphorical or literal, and yet the one constant is the goodness of God. So in gratitude for all that Jesus has, is, and will do, we dedicate ourselves to the work of what God is up to in this world by participating in his ministry at the kingdom of heaven, We do that in a lot of different ways, and one of the ways we do 
is by declaring that he is our Lord and our Savior of all of our lives through the giving of tithes and offerings. So I invite our ushers now to come forward to receive our gifts to God.
Let us turn to God in prayer. Gracious God, we offer you these resources, for we know that you will take them, you will bless them, you will multiply them, and you will use them to meet the world's needs. We offer you too, holy and loving God, our very selves, our lives, and we give you thanks and praise for the opportunities that you bless us with every single day to love and serve you and participate in your life-giving work for the sake of your kingdom. In Christ's name, we pray together, saying, Amen. Please be seated. I'll invite the members of the commission who are taking part in the installation ceremony to come forward at this time, and I will say to our congregation, of course, we are doing things differently because of COVID and because of the pandemic. And so um, we would normally, for example, uh, uh, have a laying on the hands for this, and we're not going to have that. We would also have a big reception in Warren Hall after this, normally, but we're not at the point yet where we're gathering lots of folks in a tighter space than that and eating finger foods and, and things like that. So we're not having a reception. But Mike will be up here in the front after the ceremony, and instead of going Back to the uh, back, I invite you to come forward and to greet him, to congratulate him, to fist bump or, or elbow, whatever we're doing these days, or shake a hand, whatever you're most comfortable with, um, and, and to celebrate him in his ministry, even if we can't do things yet like we would normally do it. We want to celebrate this day um, in Mike Lyle's life. And so will our participants please come forward. My friends. We are called out by God to be a church of Jesus Christ, a sign in the world today of the new life that God intends for all. As the living body of Christ, the church is called to proclaim the good news of salvation, to present the claims of the gospel on people's lives, and to demonstrate Christ's love in service to the world. The ministry of the church is shared by the pastor and the people so that all together may fulfill the mission to which we are called in Jesus Christ. The particular responsibility of the ministry of word and sacrament is to build up the church and to serve the people of God so that the word might be rightly proclaimed and the sacraments rightly celebrated. The call to this ministry has been extended by this congregation, accepted by the candidate, and approved by the presbytery. In his baptism, Michael was clothed with Christ. He was ordained to the ministry of word and sacrament by the presbytery of Wabash Valley and is now called by God through the voice of the church to serve as associate pastor of this congregation. Therefore, the Presbytery of the Mid-South, by means of this commission, is now, now installs Reverend Michael Lyle as Associate Pastor for Evangelism and Discipleship at Germantown Presbyterian Church. And now, as part of the service, I will ask Michael the constitutional questions found in the Book of Order. So I say, Michael, do you trust in Jesus Christ, your Savior, acknowledging him Lord of all and head of the church, and through him believe in one God, 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And do you accept the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments to be, by the Holy Spirit, the unique and authoritative witness to Jesus Christ in the church universal and God's word to you? Do you sincerely receive and adopt the essential tenets of the Reformed faith as expressed in the confessions of our church as authentic and reliable expositions of what Scripture leads us to believe and do, and will you be instructed and led by those confessions as you lead the people of God? I do and I will. And will you fulfill your ministry in obedience to Jesus Christ under the authority of Scripture and be continually guided by our confessions? I will. Will you be governed by our church's polity, and will you abide by its discipline? Will you be a friend among your colleagues in ministry, working with them, subject to the ordering of God's word and spirit? I will. Will you in your own life seek to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, love your neighbors, and work for the reconciliation of the world? I will. And do you promise to further the peace, unity, and purity of the church? And will you pray for and seek to serve the people with energy, intelligence, imagination, and love? I do. Will you be a faithful teaching elder, proclaiming the good news in word and sacrament, teaching faith and caring for people? Will you be active in government and discipline, serving in the councils of the church? And in your ministry, will you try to show the love and justice of Jesus Christ? Please respond to these questions. Do we, the members of the church, accept Michael as our associate pastor, chosen by God through the voice of this congregation to guide us in the way of Jesus Christ? Do we? We do. Do we agree to pray for him, to encourage him, to respect his decisions, and to follow as he guides us, serving Jesus Christ, who alone is head of the church, do we? Do we promise to pay him fairly and provide for his welfare as he works among us, to stand by him in trouble and to share his joys? Will we listen to the word he preaches, welcome his pastoral care, and honor his authority as he seeks to honor and obey Jesus Christ, our Lord. Do we and will we? Let us turn to God in prayer. Gracious and eternal God, with great joy we give you thanks and praise. Throughout the ages, and in every place, you have chosen servants from among your people to point the way to salvation by your grace. We are grateful for ancestors in the faith, men and women, who have been leaders and apostles and teachers and prophets and judges, each one boldly speaking your words of mercy and truth in every age 
and nurturing your people in faith and faithfulness. Above all, we praise you for Jesus Christ, who came not to be served but to serve and to give his life to set others free. Anointed by your Holy Spirit, he proclaimed your reign on earth, revealing your saving love in all that he said and did. Gracious God, pour out your Spirit upon your servant Michael, whom you called by baptism as your own. Give him a spirit of truthfulness that he may proclaim your word in Christ from pulpit, table, and font, and in the words and actions of his daily living. By the gifts of your Holy Spirit, empower him to build up the church, to strengthen the common life of your people, and to lead with compassion and vision. Gracious God, pour out your Holy Spirit of power and truth upon the whole church, that we may be for you a holy people, baptized to serve you in the world. Sustain your church in ministry, ground us in the gospel, secure our hope in Christ, strengthen our service to the outcast, and increase our love for one another. Show us the transforming power of your grace in our life together, that we may be effective servants of the gospel, offering a compelling witness in the world to the good news of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Michael, having heard the call of God, answering that call and now answering the constitutional questions in the affirmative today, we now formally install you as associate pastor of Germantown Presbyterian Church. May you and all that you do and say bear witness to the risen Lord now and forevermore. Amen. On behalf of the Congregation of Germantown Presbyterian Church, we welcome you into our hearts and community of faith. May all of us be blessed by this union and drawn into deeper faithfulness to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Congratulations, Mike. Receive now this charge from the Book of Acts. Keep watch over yourselves and over all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God that he obtained with the blood of his own son. And now I commend you to God and to the message of his grace, a message that is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all who are sanctified. Amen. Friends, 1 Corinthians is one of the most important books in all of the New Testament. Because of what Paul writes in the beginning, the beginning chapters of chapters 1 through 12, the questions that he tries to answer, the, the conflicts, the hardships that he tries to deal with, um, it's all there in 1 Corinthians 1 through 12. And in chapter 12, Paul is going to use one of the, the quintessential New Testament images for what a church is. He makes a comparison between the human body and the church body. And how all of us are all part of one body and that each part is essential. Each part is important. When one part hurts, the whole body hurts. When one part is rejoices, we all rejoice. 
And so 1 Corinthians is one of the most important books in all of the New Testament. And then it gets to chapter 13. Chapter 13 is this remarkable treatise about love. The quality that marks life within a congregation, that marks the life of Jesus' followers. Remember when Jesus said, the whole world out there will know that you are my followers by your love that you have for one another. And so what we do here is an official act, but what it really is is an act of love. It's an act of love on Mike's part to agree to, to move here, to move his family here, and to become part of this community and, and part of this church. That's an act of faith, hope, and love. And on this church's part, a, an act of great love on this congregation's part toward Mike. And so the charge to the congregation is simply to be the type of church that Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 1 through 12, as he talks about working through difficulties and working through transitions, but then be the congregation that he describes in chapter 13. Be that loving congregation that, that we already are, <laughs> that we already have toward one another, our great love that we have for each other now. I charge you to extend that love to Mike and to Francesca as you already have, but now to ramp it up a little bit. <laughs> because as I mentioned a minute ago, um, the last 18 months have been the hardest time for any pastor to start a charge, to start a call, because you can't do all of the things that he would naturally do to ingratiate himself with people and, and to be part of your life and our, our lives. These things just haven't been happening. And so I invite you to help make them happen. Invite Mike and Francesca into your house for a meal. Invite them over. Um, get to know him. Let him get to know you. Be that loving congregation that we already are, that we might have to ramp up a little bit because of the unusual circumstances that we are in. Um, he's already taken so much initiative in so many different things, but part of the, uh, part of the getting to know you is, is going to require your initiative. It's going to require your effort. He can't, invite, he can't invite himself into your home and to your events and to your parties and to celebrations. You need to show him that love and Francesca as well. And so, friends, I just charge you to continue to be, even to a, a larger degree now, even to a higher degree, be the loving congregation that God is calling us to be for Mike. And we're going to have an amazing journey together. Amen. Thank you. I agree. I remind you, after the service, Mike and Francesca will be up here, and you can come greet them personally. We continue to uh, worship God as we finish our worship service this morning with our, with our closing hymn.
I'll never forget the first email I ever got from Alec Ivey. And I can't parrot it exactly correct, but it essentially said, hey, would you like to have a casual conversation with some happy people? <laughs> Little did I know six months into the job that it is a happiness rooted in the delight of the Lord, filled to overflowing with love, and I just can't thank you enough for taking the chance and, and bringing Francesca and I down and opening us with welcome arms. Thank you to the search committee, to this all-star team, the staff that we have that has just been so kind and welcoming and, and loving. May we always find our delight in Jesus Christ together. So go. May the grace and mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each of you now and forever. Amen.